0: You're listening to The book Story and Podcast, a podcast for book lovers and bookstagrammers. Hello and welcome to The book Story and Podcast. My name is Tegan and I am your host. On this episode, Mariah from At The Need To Read joins me to talk about The Lost Apothecary by Sarah Penner. We have a chat about her Bookstagram account and her delicious treats that she makes, as well as what inspires each of her creations. We then chat about The Lost Apothecary, and just a warning, there are definitely some spoilers on this episode. Hello, Mariah, and welcome to the Bookstorian podcast. Hi, thank you for having me. You're very welcome. I am super enthused to talk to you today because your Bookstagram account is one that I absolutely love and adore. It is so visually appealing. So this is a absolute pleasure to have you on. I really appreciate that. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) So to break the ice, I have a question to start with. And my question is, what book would you like to see turned into a movie? So I love this question. I get asked it a lot. um, And I like
1: to think about it um, kind of often. Every time I read a book, I sort of, in my head, imagine it played out as a movie. Um, And I think the most recent one that kind of stands out to me is China Room by Sanjeev Sahota. Um, It was recently on the Booker Prize long list for this year. Uh, I didn't see that many people reading it. I haven't seen it floating around Bookstagram that much, but I I really loved it, and I think that it has a lot of potential for like really dramatic, like light work in a in a movie setting, and it could be like there's a big mystery that like undercurrents the the plot in the in the book that has to do with not seeing the person that this woman is married to, because she only encounters him in a really dark room. And I think that that could be pretty pretty cool in a movie setting.
0: Yeah, it could be very interesting to see how a cinematographer would pull it off if we're not meant to necessarily see a a particular character. Right. Mine is a little bit more light and breezy, I think because (laughs) I'm currently consuming all of Netflix's Christmas movies. Ah, yes. (laughs) So even though like uh, my listeners aren't going to hear this episode until early next year um we'll be very transparent and say that this is early December when we're talking to one another. So the book that I would love to be seen turned into a movie is Rules for Dating a Bookshop Owner by SC Gray. So I interviewed Stephanie on the podcast um 2 weeks ago and uh, that episode came out in November last year. Um and I'm just currently in the mood for these light romantic movies that have a little bit of a Christmassy vibe to it. And the main character, Campbell, she is a bookshop owner. So I know that quite often we read books that are about bookshop owners or booksellers or um, people who might be writers, et cetera, et cetera. But I feel like it's not a, um, a trope or I feel like it's not necessarily a setting we see too much in um, many movies an actual bookshop itself Um, I know I think it's uh, Dash and Lily was the one that came out last year and that had a bit of a bookshop uh, setting within it that the characters kept coming back to so I just I love that setting and I love to see books amongst like the Christmas lights and tinsel and things like that so I think that would be a nice one so Netflix if you're listening get on it
1: <laughs> no, there's nothing like a, a nice uh, holiday light read and light movie right now.
0: Yes, it's and it's perfect half-time. to mm-hmm. whack on a Christmas movie and do some baking, which I oh, no yeah. doubt think you would do a lot of. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, Mariah, your bookstagram handle is at the need to read, and need is spelled K N E A D, as in uh, need dough or bread. Well, dough, because it's not bread yet. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. (laughs) So can you describe your bookstagram feed for my listeners?
1: Of course. So what I do is I take a book and I typically bake or cook something that has been mentioned in the book. So if you look at my bookstagram feed, you'll see, you know, a bunch of flat lays typically where I have kind of like an above head view of a book bunch of food around it usually some flowers it's typically a pretty bright feed and um yeah I just do a bunch of mostly baking as the need and the need to read suggests and
0: I just sort of um like to experience the food in a book and how did you actually come up with the name for your Instagram handle because I think it's quite a a clever sort of pun (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so I have um, my
1: husband and my dad to thank for that. They are sort of pun masters themselves. So we just were sitting around a table during dinner one night. It was during the very beginning of the pandemic where I was like, oh, I have like some extra time that I've never had before. What do I do with all this time? And they were like, oh, like you should do that thing that you just do for fun, which was kind of baking things that I see in books. And it's something that I did for my um my classroom and my students as well when I was an English teacher. And we were just sort of sitting around like throwing out different like silly book puns with baking. (laughs) And we ended up with this one, which was, you know, much better than some like other like cheesy ones that we came up with. So this this one, (laughs) this one stuck.
0: I'm glad it did. I I think it's very well suited to what you do. What actually inspires your baking creations? So
1: when I read a book and, you know, in the beginning, this was just something that I did sort of naturally where I would read a book and there would be one particular scene uh, where a character was eating something or particular flavors that stood out to me after I finished a book and I would bake something um with those now i I, you know i have this page so I, i read with this page in mind so um now when i read a book i sort of keep like a running list of all the different flavors mentioned all the different uh dishes mentioned all the different places mentioned and i sort of go through it at the end and i pick out something that stood out to me the most Oftentimes, I try to manipulate it into um, a baked good just because that's where my own like personal interests lie in baking. But there's certain books where you just can't like it's just a a savory meal has really just been the center of a book. So I'll go with a savory meal.
0: Yeah, I think it's also a really great way for you to cook meals from a range of different cultures as well like I've seen a number of different um, cultures and cuisines come up on your account of late and not just necessarily a baking a baked good so it's also a good idea to get experimental with all the different foods that you can cook
1: yeah and it's taken me to to even interesting parts of my neighborhood I'm lucky I live in um, the Bronx which is in New York City Um, and I've been of exploring my neighborhood and all the different uh, little small supermarkets that I have in my neighborhood that I normally wouldn't go into. And my neighborhood's very diverse. So I have like a Mexican grocery store. I have a Polish, like uh, like Eastern European grocery store. I have like an all Italian one and I can just sort of like go in and get very specific food items to the book that I'm reading. So it's been it's been fun. It's, it's led me to a lot of different places that I normally wouldn't have gone. And I've definitely had to YouTube how to cook a lot of meals that I have would have never encountered otherwise.
0: Yeah. So if you are listening to the podcast and you're almost looking for a bookstagram cross uh, recipe or a like food inspo, I would definitely recommend um, that at The Need to Read is a great bookstagram account that will um, inspire you to cook some new things. So how do you decide what to cook for each book? So I've seen before that you have like a bit of a notebook that you step through and you'll write down ideas. What is it that you'll gravitate towards a certain dish or baked good uh, that you'll actually end up cooking?
1: So sometimes it's as simple as, what, what do I personally want to eat? <laughs> um, and it could be just like that. Like, oh, I really want to try that. That sounds delicious. <laughs> so then I'll go forth and, and uh, do that. Uh, occasionally, when I have a book cover that I find particular in, particularly inspiring, I will try to incorporate or think about a baked good or a meal that would reflect the aesthetic of the book cover. So I might have been leaning towards a different meal, but then I will switch it so that I could like do a little bit of like hand painting on on something or, or I'll switch a meal so that it reflects an image that's on the book cover. So it depends. Um, it's definitely transformed since the beginning where I would just do like, one very simple dish that I saw in its simple form. Now I transform it a little bit to try to get kind of the colors and different aesthetics that I need out of it.
0: I have a book suggestion for you that I've just read. If you would like to hear it, that I think you would get a bunch of different ideas from. Yes.
1: Hit me with it.
0: So it is called the silence of Scheherazade by Daphne Suman And it is set in Smyrna, which um, is a, like a coastal town uh, located between Turkey and Greece. Um, So it's a historical fiction book. And essentially there is, uh, there's kind of, there's a, a Turkish family, a Greek family, a Levantine family and an Armenian family. And there are so many references to food like pilaf or celeb or um, a variety of different meals or flavors. Like the amount of times the word pomegranate is mentioned, it could be a drinking mm. game and you'd get very drunk. Uh, but I, I definitely could see you reading this if you haven't already um, and getting a whole bunch of different ideas to create a um, a kind of almost a bit of a Mediterranean I guess, or Aegean-inspired banquet from it. I love that. I will definitely read <laughs> it. Yeah, it's, it's a, a big a one. That I'm in. <laughs> yeah, I definitely. Um, yeah, I think you would quite like it. I interviewed um, Nicola last year, and Nicola creates candles. Um, Made by Nicola is is the brand and she was talking about a similar process that she does with candles um, and would go through and like list all the different scents uh, that she that are mentioned within the book or that perhaps she feels as she's reading the book so um, I also think that would be a great book to get some scents from for a candle as well.
1: I love that. that. You know, you never really realize um, how often books mention sense and mention food until you're reading with that lens. You know, it's just, it's such a like a natural part of life and a natural part of of plots that aren't typically important and then when you're like actually looking for it you're like oh my god this is kind of an essential building block of this world.
0: So what happens when, a... what happens when you read a book and there's no mention of food? Like, cause sometimes that happens where the characters actually, they never reference them eating anything. Like how, how many times has that happened to you? <laughs> uh, it's definitely happened a
1: few times. Okay. I've had a couple of books where, um, just beverages are mentioned a lot and nothing else. Like they'll have like, I'm just drinking tea or I'm drinking coffee and, and that's it. And I'm like, what do I do with that? I can't do <laughs> um so I'll like make a coffee cake or like you know or something of the sort it definitely happens typically with those I'll just go with um the book cover and like any sort of scent so sometimes um there was a book where they kind of mentioned like that the that the land had a smell of like lemon and citrus so like I just went with, with with that and I was like okay I heard you taking it and i'm running with it (laughs) and that's going to be what i do
0: fantastic (laughs) the cover is always a fantastic uh like backup i suppose if you can't find any sense within the book um and in particular the lost apothecary by sarah penner is a novel that we have both read and that you have also done a absolutely beautiful cookie biscuit spread um on your bookstagram feed Uh, luckily you didn't play around with any poisons mentioned in the book (laughs) and went for the cookies instead and um this that is the book that we're going to speak about today yes no poisons that we know of (laughs) haven't been caught yet (laughs) here is an overview for you A historical fiction novel set in both the late 1700s and the present day, the lost apothecary threads together the life of Carolyn, a woman in need of a destruction with a deep love of history and Nella, an apothecary with a flair for poison. Despite being centuries apart in age, the women both share connections of love, infidelity, and a want of children. So let's start at the most obvious reason why I bought this book, and it was the beautiful cover. So I'll give it a quick little overview for people who are listening and I'm certainly no author when it comes to describing things but the most striking feature is certainly the deep purple color and then you have this like smattering of different flowers so the ones that I could pick out were uh, with the help of with the help of some of my followers <laughs> was some lilies peonies and petunias are the ones that are on it and then there's this beautiful gold foiling that is done on a little apothecary bottle and yes that's I highly recommend you google it if you're listening and I haven't explained it properly for you but the cover certainly grabbed me first and foremost what about you Mariah?
1: Yeah I think that the cover is everyone's favorite part of this book. Um, I've seen in all of the reviews of this book, people mentioning how beautiful the cover is mm. and I agree I think I think the cover is super beautiful. Um, it gave me a lot of flowers to work with in my in my post so I think that it's really captivating. However, I kind of wish after I read it, I don't know if you feel the same way, I kind of wish that the cover was a little uh, grittier. I think that the the story itself is all like mud and like dust and like old and I think about the aesthetic and I'm like I think about like finding that record book that she finds and like Mm. dusting it off and like so I kind of wish that um, the book cover looked like the old record book of the apothecary
0: yeah I could yeah I sense that definitely or even some of the pages like you know how sometimes they'll do like a beautiful inlay on the cover and first page of the back page, like a little bit more of a homage to that part of the story could be really cool. I think they went very symbolic with the, with uh, like kind of like the meaning of flowers or the language of flowers. So I had a little bit of a research into it and this is what I found. So peonies are generally thought to symbolize prosperity, good luck, love and honor. So I'm assuming that both of the characters have that connection there to love um, and also potentially the, the idea of prosperity, like wanting to do well or be well um, at their chosen paths. The Petunias, I thought, were the most interesting, though. The common meaning for them are soothing nature, resentment, and anger. <laughs> and for me, our, one of our leading characters, Carolyn, she has a lot of anger towards her husband um, and his infidelity and a lot of resentment towards him because she kind of forfeited her career for him. So I thought that was a symbolic tie there. Yeah, it's interesting to think about the symbolic ties of the
1: flowers. That definitely makes me like it more. Yeah. I didn't think about that too much. I just was like, oh no, lilies are uh, poisonous to cats, so I can't get them <laughs> I can't get that for my picture because I have my cat. And
0: I was like, well, it's kind
1: of appropriate, you know?
0: (laughs) Well, it's interesting you bring up the lilies as well because the lilies can represent purity and fertility. (laughs) So, which I thought was sort of a double-edged sword in the fact that purity for me connected to Eliza. And potentially her purity and innocence. And then the fertility connecting to Carolyn and also to Nella. Um, Carolyn's want of a child. And potentially like her biological clock ticking a little bit. Making her um, influence her decision about staying with her husband or not. And then I can't remember. And I'm hoping you might be able to. I can't remember what Nella's story was in the fact of wanting a child. Like In my review I wrote down that they both wanted a child. Did Nella experience some kind of trauma that that didn't that meant she couldn't actually conceive a child? Um, yes.
1: So she was kind of in the biggest way betrayed by her lover. And his name was Frederick.
0: So this is where I struggle, because I've haven't, I haven't read it for a while either. <laughs> I tried to flick through. Uh, <laughs> she that was page.
1: betrayed, I know that her lover. Um, Nella's lover sort of um, she revealed to him that she was pregnant. Um, then he kind of revealed that he was married, living the double life, and he took one of her uh, potions and kind of induced a uh, miscarriage. That's yeah. it. That's like it. the ultimate, most disgusting betrayal you could do to someone. Yeah. Yes. I remember reading that part and and crying for Nella because I just it took me completely by surprise that storyline and then kind of all of her intentions and all of, all of the things that she's done with the apothecary since her mom made sense to me.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, certainly. And I, and as I was reading back over my notes today, going through and working out what to talk about, that was the, that was the link there. I was like, I'm sure there was something that happened to her that prevented from her for, for her like potentially trying to conceive again. Um, But I think, yeah, it was mainly finding that love or not being able to find it again after going through something like that.
1: Yeah, and I think that that's why she ends up being kind of hardened towards men and like hardened towards um, the role that she plays in, in these relationships, this devious role that she now plays. And I think that that's why she's originally so closed off to Eliza. Cause she's like, doesn't even want to like approach that mothering role. She kind of just like shut that area off of herself.
0: Yeah, certainly. And we see that contrasting between her and Carolyn as well. So we've introduced a few of the characters already in our chat, which is great. This naturally happens as, um, as this naturally happens when two people who have read a similar book um, start a conversation together. So who was your favorite character in the book?
1: Um, I saw a lot of reviews saying that, um, the timeline in the past with Nella and Eliza was the most appealing timeline. Um, I kind of went against the grain with most of my opinions about this book. I really like Caroline and I liked the modern timeline a lot. Um, I think mostly because I could kind of immerse myself into her timeline a little bit more. It's, you know, it's the modern timeline, I could relate to it. And I definitely could relate to becoming obsessed with a mystery. I think like if I found, while mudlarking, which is what she was doing in London, if I found a vial, I would be so excited. I would follow it to the ends of the earth to try to figure out, you know, the mystery to reveal the mystery behind it. So I definitely identified with her in that regard. I did not identify how she dealt with uh, her husband. No, no. But um, uh, with everything else, I did I did identify with her. So she ended up being my favorite. I ended up looking
0: forward to her chapters. I really liked Eliza. And I think it was because through her, we're able to learn about Nella as an apothecary and what that all entails and how she also came to be the way she was. So I thought she was a really clever device used by the author to allow us to see everything for the first time and learn with her as well. And just her like her curiosity and her persistence to keep coming back to Nella and wanting to be a part of the apothecary shop was um, a really admirable quality in that character, um, even right into the very end when we just don't know how far she'll actually go to remain loyal to Nella as well.
1: Yeah, I think her loyalty was endearing. Um, but in the beginning, I was I was kind of like Nella in my view of Eliza, and I was like, "Can you just go away?
0: <laughs> you leave are me. so persistent." Yeah. <laughs> I'm a spinster, really angsty. <laughs> yeah, I'm just gonna live my angsty life
1: over here. You know, murdering some men. Can you just leave me alone?
0: <laughs> and and yeah, Nella also wanting to to protect her as well from um, what she knew would would happen i suppose right. and we've already mentioned our two protagonists within the story so we've got carolyn and nella what connection did these two have to one another that made the dual time periods work for you when you were reading the book
1: yeah so i think we sort of touched on this when we mm-hmm. were mentioning them before but their connection with you know motherhood is definitely a major connection that they have. And I like how that sort of slowly revealed itself throughout the book. It wasn't like connection with motherhood. Like this is, mm. you know, this is how you can see the connection. Um, you sort of had to wait for it to build. And um, I kind of like that they are just both regular, regular small, like flawed women, like living their lives, like very normal lives. Um, if you consider, you know, being an apothecary, <laughs> <that murder laughs> men, a normal life, but you know, like, it's just like these regular lives, like going through that mm-hmm. normally just wouldn't be noticed. And sort of that
0: regular aspect ends up being a connecting factor for me. I liked the vial that something like a really simple object was something that connected them. So Carolyn discovering something that once upon a time, Nella, Nella's hands would have touched and created a potion in and worked with. I, I really liked that uh, very solid connection between the two of them. And as you mentioned, Carolyn discovers it while she was mudlarking in the Thames. And I also think the fact that we are reading a story about two women Uh, One who has been very set in her independent ways and another who's probably striving to be a little bit more independent and walking along her own path. I think that uh, little, I think that's how the dual timeline worked for me.
1: Yeah, I agree. I think like you can kind of see Caroline like gathering strength from this um not just the story but like in in the process of un- uncovering the story she she kind of finds herself a little bit more
0: yeah and I end. think that shows for that character development throughout the story for her and and eventually in the end as well right. um all right I didn't enjoy this book as much as you did um mm-hmm. and even today when I sat down with it again I, and flipped through and wrote down some ideas to talk about I was like have I been too harsh I think it's a great thing that we can talk to each other about it because I didn't like it as much and you really enjoyed it. But one of my bugbears is that the likelihood that the apothecary shop would still be in London after all this time just felt really impossible to me. And I think that was one of the things as a very logical person who I really don't read very much fantasy at all. I got really hung up on it. So what do you make of the fact that the apothecary shop still existed and yeah, how did it how were you okay with it? <laughs> <laughs>
1: That's because you're the book bookstorian. You're like, this isn't this isn't historical. Like we exactly. can't do this. <laughs> um, <Yes. laughs> I I definitely really agree with you. I remember sort of rolling my eyes in that moment. Um, and being like are you kidding me like she like went over this fence and then she's like "Ooh, I'm feeling across this door and I find I find it like completely (laughs) standing still in time um (laughs) but I am a big fan of sort of suspending all my disbelief when I read a book I just go I go in I go in head first so I don't really care like I'm just like all right yeah sure she found it good for her and I just kind of roll with whatever punches
0: the author throws my way um (laughs) is it bad for me to say that that's a very like English teacher approach to picking up a book
1: (laughs) it is it is it is guilty as charged um yeah because I can imagine my students doing exactly what you said and being like but Miss P that's absolutely absurd and I'm like just go with it but I'm a drama teacher
0: definitely have a lot more imagination than what I seem to do when I pick up a book
1: (laughs) yeah and I think I think it helps like honestly my two favorite genres end up being fantasy um and uh historical fiction so this just it just works it just Yeah. yeah yeah and it's not like I you know I did I really did enjoy this book like I like picked it up and I was like that was good and I put it down and I was like solid and I like walked away um I didn't find myself thinking too much about it after I put it down, but um, I, you know, it had a lot of elements in, in books that I enjoy. So I didn't enjoy it.
0: So one of the other bugbears that I have with the book was I actually found it quite repetitive at times. Like I felt like it, it sort of had, it skipped back and told you what you'd already read. And as someone who normally reads quite quickly, I found it really tiresome and thought a lot of the segues could have been much snappier to kind of keep me more intrigued in the book. Did you find that when you were reading it as well? Yeah, I
1: don't remember any particulars, but I do remember that feeling where I was like, eh, we didn't need that moment. Yeah, yeah. I, do, I do remember just feeling that feeling when I was reading the book. But I can't exactly pinpoint where in the book I felt that. Um,
0: yeah. But yeah. And I can, I can completely understand that uh, many people would take longer, um, to read a book, um, certainly than, than I do, but for something that was under 300 pages and very, um, so for something that was under 300 pages and had multiple perspectives within it, I certainly think the, uh, the transitions could have been a lot snappier, um, between the dual storylines. Okay next bugbear why did the apothecary shop have to be such a secret in the end so even when she was accused of poisoning her husband and um like she was like was trespassing really that bad of a thing like, I'm just not too sure why it had to be such a secret. Like, surely it would have been like, yep, so this is actually what I've been doing. I found this bottle. I did this. I'm really sorry I didn't mean for him to poison himself. Like, I don't understand why it had to be such a secret.
1: Um, Yeah. I'm oh, like, girl, tell them. Tell them. <laughs> <laughs> my book. I'm like, you don't want to go to jail for this. This ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, I completely agree. Like, I'm like, that's not that big of a a deal. Um, I think that she was worried about, you know, maybe potentially that sounding unbelievable, like just Mm. completely something that's ridiculous and they wouldn't count as a real uh, story. That I can definitely see as being a legitimate fear in saying this apothecary story. Like, oh yeah, you know, I just stumbled upon one. That doesn't exactly sound like a believable story. Um, yeah, I'm definitely just writing about poisons in this <laughs> book and my husband ends up being poisoned and it's just completely unrelated. Um, so I, I get I get that fear that she had that that would not sound believable.
0: Yeah. And I think too, like there's a, there was a handful of other people she met along the way that also could have backed up her story. Like the, uh, the person that was working at a museum and the mudlarker like there's a few other people along the way who she also could have been like talk to these two people like i've you know this is what i've been doing um so i'm getting the sense that you also were a bit annoyed by them but not enough um yeah again I, I just suspend it like, i just suspend my disbelief yeah. i'm like i'm just like okay yeah sure <laughs> <laughs> Okay, You're I'm going yeah. <laughs> to give you one more bug bit. Oh, okay, now I've got two and I want to talk about them. So no one, well, I know one other person that's read the book and we haven't had this much of a conversation about it. So second last one, and uh, potentially as a woman and someone who has already, does already have a baby, um, I do not. And I turn, I've turned 30. Um, but I certainly think that most but okay that's a generalization I certainly think that for some women um you have a sense of like body clock is ticking and for me this character of Carolyn she felt that body clock ticking and then all of a sudden just let go of it and it seemed to be something that she kept coming back through throughout the book that that want to have a child and then it was like well how does that just disappear like that because you no longer have a husband like how yeah i i just don't understand how that was let go very easily or felt like it was let go of very easily in the book was it let go in the end i'm having trouble remembering she she was just like i'm never gonna have a kid no it was like oh, career then um yeah um well i think with care with carolyn like her she
1: was so trapped she felt so trapped in this relationship Mm. and so stifled with her like her and then throughout this book she finds her her voice her independence just a little bit you know it wasn't like a hoorah like inspiring story for womanhood but you know she does find a bit of independence and she gathers the energy to kind of like release herself from this like bum of a husband so i think like in that way, she would be like, all right, like I'm going to kind of just search for things that satisfy me as my own person Mm. uh, now. And I I can understand that. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Like, uh, yeah. Kind of like releases, releases potentially all those other like social, social demands that, that she might've felt while still in that relationship. Exactly. Yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: And my last one comes down to just how easily Caroline worked everything out like, the, re- the research seemed really minor, really, like, relatively easy, and, like, would going to grad school for what she wants to do actually be that easy? It just se- it seemed too easy, and again, this is, <laughs> you're probably fine with it as a suspension of belief.
1: <laughs> yes, I'm fine with everything. No, yeah. Um, <laughs> um, um, yeah, it was easy. It was, like, sort of ridiculous. It was, like, um, <laughs> Like, she looked at a map and she was like, I found it. <laughs> um, yeah, it was really easy. I think that they didn't really get into her grad school portion um, at the end. Um, but I remember thinking, like, I don't understand how she's not um, going to talk about this apothecary that she uncovered. That, that was a part, actually, of the book where I was, like, very frustrated that she was just protecting... Eliza and like protecting the secret and like just decided to to ditch it yeah. and like bury it for for the rest of time and I'm just the uncoverer of mysteries in me. Um, <laughs> tell everyone, <laughs> which, tell everyone. <laughs> well, what it, which is what which is what like initially attracted me and like made me identify with her character is mm-hmm. is this uh, desire to uncover and unveil these mysteries and then she just ditched it at the end so for me that was the one thing in this book that didn't really align with like what I thought her character would do Mm. um and threw me for like the biggest loop because I was like what the heck so that part I didn't like but yeah
0: yeah I I think there's definitely some really great things about this book like having that dual timeline um having that connection between these two women I certainly think the poisoning twist at the end with the husband was was really clever didn't really see that coming um, when she was writing things down like there was certainly a lot of great things about this novel but overall I just couldn't suspend my belief I went way too logical as you said book story and is my name and so <laughs> the historical stuff um, and even the research behind it all um, didn't add up for me um, but I'm I'm really glad that you enjoyed this story and there are many others like you that have as well Thank you, and I like um, the problems that you have with the book. You called a a bug bear. That <laughs> yeah,
1: <laughs> that's fun. <laughs> we don't have that expression. <laughs> so I was like, oh.
0: <laughs> Actually, I don't even know how I would explain it. But yeah, it's just like something I'm holding a grudge about. Like it's bugging me. I like it. <laughs> something that I'm bearing that's bugging me <laughs> yeah no I understood
1: I understood what it meant but I was like I've never heard that
0: before <laughs>
1: there you go new phrase
0: that you can use <laughs>
1: thank you I'll bring it I'll bring it over here to New York <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah spread it spread it out <laughs> you nice pull it. You. <laughs> ah, so thank you so much for talking to me about the lost apothecary and your bookstagram account Mariah thank you thank you so much for having me it's been a pleasure and now a sweet treat just for you as you have listened to the entire episode. Here is a little clip of what to expect in next week's podcast. And it is a book you have already read, which will be... Any book I've already read. Yeah, so super <laughs> easy one to start with.
2: Um, so what is a book? Oh, I'm going to shout out um, one of my favourite indie books, actually, which is the Fortuna Swan series by Kelsey Sutton, who is also... A friend of mine we became friends through me reading her book which is a fairy romance which if anybody has watched my channel they will know that i do truly totally love fairy romances um it's a little bit of a dark one and it follows this girl called fortuna who is a nightmare which means that she can access what other people are scared of and make them believe that they're experiencing that fear and her brother went missing a couple of years before the start of the story Vanish without a trace and she can't find him and then one day she is approached by a very powerful fairy man who says that he will help her find her brother actually he'll take her directly to him because he knows where her brother is but only if she marries him that's a good time
0: Ooh. okay still not a huge fan of fantasy but can i can appreciate the twist in the story <laughs> You have been listening to The Bookstoring Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen and follow me on Instagram at The Bookstoring Podcast.